Aware Now, the official podcast for causes. Presented by Awareness Ties, Aware Now is rated O for original and organic content to raise awareness for the causes we're all tied to through personal stories and exclusive interviews. Tune in as we raise awareness a story at a time about topics that aren't always easy to talk about through conversations that are sometimes hard to have. Together, we are aware now. This is New Heights and Hope, an interview with Shante Lowe by Allie McGuire. This is found the hard edition of Aware Now magazine. What does a four-time Olympian, breast cancer survivor, motivational speaker, and mother of three do while at home during a pandemic? Train for the Olympics to represent the U.S. for the high jump, of course. Shantae Lowe is going for gold in Tokyo. Shantae, thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation with me today. You know, I want to start out with just this quick question for you. Um, is homeschooling three children during a global pandemic not enough of a challenge for you? You had to do something more? <laughs> well, you know, we weren't doing anything else, so no. <laughs> Indeed. Again, Shante, thank you for taking time to share your story. Yours is one of strength and love and hope. Hope above all else. Let's start by going all the way back, back to the beginning. You had a mother who was an addict and a father who was incarcerated. You went to live with your grandmother. And that is where you found solace. For so many young people who are growing up feeling very lost, without a mother or without a father or without either, what advice would you give for feeling found? How did you get through all of it? I think that it really started with realizing that, you know, the things that were happening with my parents were cyclical. So my mother came from a broken home where my grandfather abused my grandmother and it was just a whole cycle. She ended up getting an abusive relationship, found depression and and just really kind of suffered through those things and then turned to whatever form of medication to try to numb the pain and the hurting. And, you know, with my father, same thing. He got involved in, you know, drugs early on, ended up losing his scholarship to college and then got back into that cycle. So I think that me realizing early on that that was a cycle that was happening from generation to generation of my family, I wanted to stop it. Not only because I saw where that path led and I knew that I didn't want that to be part of my life, but eventually I knew I wanted to have kids, I wanted to have a family, and I did not want that to be their future. So, you know, definitely when I was in around sixth or seventh grade, I got the chance to go live with my grandmother, a single grandmother, and she kept me out of trouble by keeping me busy. And the two places that I went was on the sports field and to church. That was it. <laughs> and, you know, I think that, you know, as kids, you know, that might be going through that same situation right now, do not underestimate the value of the opportunities presented to you at this, at this age. It may be academics, it may be sports, it may be extracurricular activities, but find something to really find your place, find your fit, be great at something. You could be a great student. 
but it will afford you more opportunities to change that cycle in your life and don't feel victim to it and know that you can change it if you take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you. And that's the advice that I would give. And don't, don't try to fit somebody else's box. Find your fit and be great at something and get out. <laughs> I, Cause I knew my mom loved me. I knew that if given the choice, she wouldn't have made the decisions that she did if she didn't feel so powerless to, to those things. And so I know that it's something that I could never start. It was one of those things like, if I ever started, this is the, this is the roller coaster that I was on. And I did not, I just chose to never start. And so for me, I know there was a program back in the 80s, 90s and 2000s called DARE. It worked for me. Drug abuse resistance education worked for me. But um, yeah, that is something that I was like, no, nope, not me. <laughs> yeah, and so it's so interesting because you'll hear about kids who grew up in the same situation, a really difficult, not ideal situation. And that some, like you're saying, will follow the cycle. And then there are others that will do just the opposite and they'll break away from it. And the fact that you identified that and realized that at such a young age is awesome. Thank you. So that was your beginning. Now, I want to fast forward to a time when you felt something was wrong. Literally, you felt a lump and brought it to the attention of your doctor. Your doctor dismissed it, advised you to come back when you were 40. You didn't accept his advice. You sought out a second opinion months later, months later when the lump was larger, and so was the cancer. After a double mastectomy and chemotherapy, as a young woman, as a young black woman in America, do you feel that the system failed you? What advice do you have for other women who are told they are too young to have cancer? In, in one way, I could say yes, but because I knew that the system was faulty and flawed and the same thing that caused me to know that something was wrong with my body is the same thing that caused the doctor to dismiss me. You're young, you're fit, you're athletic. But because I was young, fit, and athletic, I was very in tune with my body. I understood the changes in my body. And that's why you have to make yourself aware of the resources, once again, that are out there. And I knew that what I was looking for. I knew that if there was any type of changes in my breast, in my breast tissue, tissue, the density, a lump that wasn't there before. Like I knew that those were alarm bells and, and going to websites like the American Cancer Society, Komen, just anywhere that they're really putting up that information, make yourself aware of it because the reality is in America, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer and the disparities for African-American women to be uh, diagnosed with later stage, more aggressive breast cancers and dying from it is higher than our white counterparts. So when you know that to be truth, you can't just take what a doctor tells you at face value and you have to be your own advocate. So one system failed me, which was, you know, the doctor dismissing a clear lump that was found in both the ultrasound and a, a mammogram. But then another system didn't fail me. And it actually gave me empowerment and hope and information. And that was the one that says, no, you have to be your own advocate, listen to your body, know you're normal. And if anything doesn't satisfy you, continue to keep pressing until you find an answer that yields the results that you need. 
Right. And so, so, you know, here we are again. It's about being aware. A moment ago, we talked about when you were young and being aware of that cycle that you saw and now being aware of your body. So it's about being aware, not only mentally and emotionally, but physically too. Yes. Yeah, all kinds of awareness. <laughs> Is there a theme going on? Are we on some type of show that has something to do with being aware? <laughs> must be aware right now. <laughs> um, you know, sir, sir, I mean, I guess it goes, I guess this isn't even a question I have to ask them. But what advice would you have for young women who are told that they're too young to get cancer? Would it be to find their norm and to trust that? Absolutely. So the first thing you have to do, you are going to know your body more than anyone else. The doctor is not coming and doing your monthly self-breast exams. And the, the problem, I think, that our system that is relevant in our system right now is that they tell us that we should not really care about our breast health until we're 40. But the problem is we have 18 year olds, 22 year olds, 25 year olds being diagnosed with stage three, stage four cancers, and they're not making it to their 40th birthday. So something in that system has to change. And our first line of defense is checking our breast monthly knowing what we're looking for and knowing what our breasts feel like. If you got a regular lump, that's just going to be that you're lopsided. Then <laughs> you need to know that if all of a sudden they're both straight and they've been lopsided your whole life, that's a change. Whether mm -hmm. it's a positive aesthetic change, it's still a change that needs to be paid attention to. And one bit of advice that I found was actually on social media where, um, a girl that was diagnosed with cancer said that if the doctor ever refuses to give you the diagnostic test that you want, tell them to write that they're refusing to give you that test in your file. Oh. And when you do that, they don't want to do that because if anything is found afterwards, they're then liable. And so that's a way to really press and get those exams because nobody wanted to give me a mammogram. And unfortunately, I had to exaggerate some stories just to get one. But had I not done that, I would have never gotten it. Wow. I mean, that blows my mind. I can't imagine we have all this technology and for someone to say, I want a mammogram and, and no, what? Wow. I was, I think I was turned down probably three times before I got one. And I realized that there were keywords and different things that I needed to say in order to get one. And it's very unfortunate because, you know, that's just the standard. A lot of it has to, there has to be legislative change. Mm -hmm. And I think that, but, and, but we know that legislative change is slow and long coming. So it makes more sense for us to be that first line of the fence. We, right now we have to work with what we have because time is not on our side when it comes to these things. So right now, what we have is knowing our normal and advocating for our own bodies. Yes, yes. Advocating for our own bodies, such great advice. I wanna take a moment now to talk about when you first got the news, when you first received your diagnosis. And I quote, you said, my first thought was, I'm going to leave my children without a mother. My second thought was, 
there's no way I'm going to leave my kids without a mother. That's what you said to yourself. What did you say to your kids? So I think that they saw the worry on my face. So there was an 11 month time period where I have this lump in my body that I'm being told was a lymph node and not to worry about or come back or revisit for six years. But as an athlete, I know lymph nodes swell because of infection, bacteria, sickness, something like that. And I had done all of my due diligence to where those lymph nodes should have started to shrink and get smaller and go back to normal size. But instead it was growing and it was changing shape and it was changing texture. And I think, you know, I got to the point where I was doing probably nine, 10 self breast exams a day. I'm just walking around the house like, ah, and they see that worry on my face. And so it was something that had become a part of the whole family to where it finally hit the boiling point. Like, no, he's wrong. We're going back. And so the time period from when I went back the second time and actually got the diagnosis was only eight days, Oh my gosh! eight days from that time, from the second one. And just, they knew that I'd went to the doctor. They knew I'd had the biopsy because I had the little surgical, you know, tape and everything. And they were just like, I took them with me to the appointment. I was so sure it wasn't breast cancer. You're used to being positive. And I waited till we got home. The drive home was one hour and it was very quiet. And then as soon as we got home, I told them, I was just like, the lump was cancer and everyone just broke down. And I just, that, that moment where we were all crying and I, we were all crying separately because we were all hurting so badly. We couldn't come together at that moment. And I was in my closet with my husband. I was apologizing to him that number one, that, you know, we started this journey together and I was going to leave him. And he was going to have to take the responsibility of the kids. And then the second apology was like, there were so many things I still have left to teach them that I hadn't yet done. So instead of my life flashing before my eyes, their lives without me flashed before my eyes. And I just was like, compiling a list of all the things I still had to do and wondering if I had enough time to do them. That was like, and then when I calculated that I don't have enough time to do all these things, I was like, okay, forget it. Nope, I can't go. The job's not done. <laughs> I can't go. I don't, I still have a lot of things to do and nobody else is fit to do this job but me. And that's where I decided to fight. And I get the opportunity to speak all over the world and talk to different groups of people and tell them about the championship mindset and goal setting and how you do it. And one step that nobody likes, but it is very, very important to any process is sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And the sacrifice is the part where you yield your flesh, your body, your mind, and you give it over to what you have to do to get the job done. And in this case, that was a vegan diet that was staying up all night, researching the best statistical possibilities of success. That is reading thousands of Google reviews to find the best oncologist, surgeon, um, nutritional team around me, figuring out my resources. And that's where I found that a lot of those resources were compiled for me on the American Cancer Society website, on social media. And and, but that was my sacrifice and I'm still walking through it. I'm still trying to heal my body. The mastectomy, the chemotherapy, 
yeah, I could have chose not to do it, but no, that's a sacrifice that needed to be made now to ensure that I'd be there for my kids and that, or, you know, at least I'll say ensure, but I know statistically the more politically correct way to say it is increase the likelihood, but <laughs> I'm trying to ensure that I'm going to be here for my babies. So. Let's go with the let's, let's go that route. I like that one much better. <laughs> wow. The fact that it wasn't your life that flashed before your eyes, but the life of your children without you there that flashed before your eyes. Wow. You know, with everything that you went through, there were so many different roles that you had at the same time. The role of a mother, of a wife, of an athlete, of a woman. Were there different struggles for the different roles? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, when, when you talk about a woman, like as a woman, I you think that you've lost your womanhood, your identity, your breast. That's a, that's a thing, you know, your level of intimacy. Would you still have intimacy? Am I going to have an intimacy less life? You know, like, mm -hmm. like that, like what is the quality of this life that I'll have left? Um, it definitely was something that was weighing heavily on my mind, but my husband was so loving, so caring and so understanding that I realized that, wow, he loves my soul. Like, <laughs> you know, and like, it's like the level of confidence that it gave me as I lost my hair and I lost my eyelashes and I lost the breast and I lost, and it's like, he was just there, like loving me. And I think that that's so important to, you know, especially some of you young girls, when you're picking a man, <laughs> Don't pick the one that just likes how you look because, you, and, and, and even for me, just trying to find a way to be beautiful inside and not just outside. So I think that that was definitely one very large bit of struggle that was short-lived um, because my husband is great. But I think that the second one was being an advocate for others because once I had such hope and such determination and, and felt like, okay, I have a handle on this. Then I realized that one in eight just kept ringing in my head. Like I have five sisters. I have 13 female cousins on one side and 20 on the other. Like what does that look like for other women? Because every emotion that I just went through, some other woman got that same diagnosis today. And I had to start figuring out how I was so prepared for this because of athletics, because my grandma took me to church 40 times a week, you know, because, because I had those experiences. How do I take this and share it with others? And I felt like social media was the quickest and easiest way to, to empower other women that were going through the same thing. And I felt the burden for that, but it was also my joy to be able to do that. And so I, I started living and fighting for them also and, and not just for my myself and my family. Again, wow. I don't know that I have ever met a woman as strong as you. A man or woman as strong as you. You have, it's you. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Um, I do know that uh, I'm so excited for people to be, to be hearing um, all that you have to share. So let's talk a moment about parenting. 
so many parents, Jack and myself included, have been homeschooling during this pandemic and struggling with this shift. Your shift has included not only homeschooling, but recovering from chemo and training for the Olympics. So many of us have been searching for strength. Where, Shantae, do you find yours? So definitely, number one, it has been my faith. It's been the thing that's anchored me, my faith and my hope. If I didn't feel like there was something to look forward to, I think that I would crumble and give up. If I didn't feel that pain was temporary, I wouldn't be able to endure it. And if I didn't have love for others, I wouldn't push through. And so I think that, you know, when I was talking about that sacrifice where I was doing it for other women, I think that right now there's a, everyone is being forced to be strong. Everyone is being forced to be resilient. And it's like, We'll, yeah, we can go outside without a mask and stand next to people and cough in their ear. Of course we could do that. But at the same time, we're all sacrificing for everyone. We're sacrificing to get a handle on this. We're willfully giving up those things that we normally do because we understand that it's going to better our world and give us a better chance at fighting this COVID disease and the variants and, and giving us time to understand it. And we don't just do it for ourselves, but we do it for our children. We do it for our parents, our grandparents. You know, we want to see and hug grandma. Everybody wants to hug grandma because grandmas give the best hugs. (laughs) But we understand that it might not be safe to be around grandma right now. And so I think that we're all being forced to be brave. And I'm, I'm very glad that I had the opportunity to do it first and get practice and try it out because I feel like that prepared me for this and it's hard like like it is hard like there are times where I want to sit in the closet and break my diet and eat ice cream and chocolate and cry (laughs) (laughs) I think we're all there but um but this I do have hope is temporary and um you know I think that we have to give ourselves grace we have to take it one step at a time celebrate the victories, but at the same time, find ways to let go of the shortcomings very quickly. You have, you you don't harp on them and let them go. So you have to have a short memory (laughs) when it comes to those things. If your child didn't log into all their classes and get all their assignments done one day, it's no big deal. It's not as big of a deal as, as we make it out to be. So the things, I think it's great because it siphons out the things that are not important and allows us to focus on the things that are and focus on the things that are important and let the things that are not important get done if they get done. And if they don't, it's okay. Agreed. It is okay. And you're right on the grace on this road that we're all on together. It seems that grace is a requirement not optional. And speaking of roads, the road to the Olympics is a long one. You've walked it, jumped it four times now. On your fifth journey, this time to Tokyo, where are you on that path? I'm curious to know emotionally and physically, where are you at? Yeah, so it's kind of hard because every day you open the computer, it's like, they're canceling the Olympics. They're not. They're vaccinating everyone. They're not. They're, you know. <laughs> so 
I've kind of tuned that out and I'm going to prepare as though it is happening and, and I will be ready when it happens. And so I'm trying to put myself once again in the best statistically uh, favorable position to make my fifth Olympic team and perform well when I get there. And, and I'm excited. I, I think that that's going to mean anything than like any medal, like five Olympics. Like when I was old as dirt, I was still jumping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, really though, I mean, you already mastered so much and yet you continue to set your heights higher and higher with a fifth Olympics and master's degree on the horizon, what message of hope do you have for those who are seeking and reaching higher and higher for more? I would say the first thing is it has to be something that is meaningful to you personally. So like if somebody wanted, if somebody told me like, hey, would you like to be the peanut butter champion of the world? Like that's not gonna do anything for me. It has to have something with sustainable meaning. And I think that it's very important to monitor your progress towards those goals. And as you meet like small small incremental goals, you have to set another one just outside of reach. And I think that that's what's propelled me so far where I didn't just come out my first day and say, I'm going to be the world record holder. Like that was never it. It was just taking it one step at a time. And once I clear that hurdle, setting the standard a little bit further then clearing that one and setting it further. And I think that for anyone who wants more after you reach your goal, enjoy it. Like I said, for a second, then have a short memory and then go for the next one and continually have progressively more difficult goals one little step at a time. And that's what's done it for me. Thank you so much, Shante for your strength, for your hope, for your incredible story, and for that gorgeous smile. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us. Thank you for sharing this platform um, with me and allowing me to be able to share my story. Um, I hope also that we can impart hope in others and I, I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Shantae, keep rocking it like you do. And uh, we will see you in Tokyo. <laughs> All right, see you in Tokyo. <laughs> Produced by Awareness Ties, New Heights and Hope featured Shantae Lowe, featured by Ellie McGuire, podcast intro track by Thavius Beck, episode soundtrack by Soul Rising. Thank you for listening to Aware Now. To read our magazine, watch our broadcast, or join our community, be sure to visit our website, awarenessties.us.